0: How's everyone doing? Welcome everyone to The Sit Down. It's Vic Vic, a.k.a. Victor Beltran. Um, I'm joined today by an uh, old friend of mine, Mr. Uh, Claude Terrell, a.k.a. Big C. He joins us a little bit about him, former NFL player, uh, played at New Mexico, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, All-American? Yes, that's correct. Okay, okay. Uh, how many All-Americans does New Mexico have?
1: A grand total of probably ten or eleven in over a hundred years of playing football.
0: All right, very impressive. Uh, third, fourth round
1: draft pick. Fourth round pick.
0: Okay, to the Rams, correct?
1: St. Louis Rams, now the L.A. Rams.
0: What was your like? Uh, you're like uh, you're like oh shit moment. Like oh shit, I'm in the NFL. Like what what? What happened on the field?
1: Training camp, my rookie year, 2005, 100-degree weather. I'm in a huddle, and I have an actual brain for a daydreaming moment. The huddle is broken, and I'm standing in the huddle by myself. (laughs) Everyone has left and went to the line, and I'm just (laughs) there dozing off in the Neverland. But I was just so in armor with being in the huddle with Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, Orlando Pace. It was just like, damn, I'm really here.
0: So you played linemen. Toughest guy to block.
1: Toughest guy I ever blocked, I would probably say, Kevin Williams in his prime for the Minnesota Vikings.
0: Okay, nice, nice. And you were blocking for Marshall Falk, correct?
1: Yes, Marshall Falk and Steven Jackson.
0: And then right next to you, you had Orlando Pace?
1: Yes, I was left guard. He was left tackle.
0: Hall of Famer?
1: Yes, Gold Jacket Club.
0: Mm, nice, nice. Um, So you played, let's see, what year did you get drafted?
1: 2005.
0: 2005, 13 years ago. Would you say the game has changed significantly in that period of time?
1: I would say the game has changed offensively i mean offenses are more wide open now and there's a lot more passing going on but as far as the physicality the talent and the speed it's still the same
0: i mean there's been a big focus on concussions um all the studies that have been coming out about uh you know the way the brain is uh, is affected by by these constant hits to the head um what, what is your position on that? Do, do you think that all these new rules are softening the game, making it, um, you know, like people are saying, uh, why don't they just go to flag football, you know, the way they're changing the game? Or do you think that it's it's for the good of the game? It's for, for the safety of the athletes?
1: Well, you know, all of the new rules and the legislation is for the safety of the guys playing the game now, but... You know, at the end of the day, it's a contact sport. And, you know, the risk you take when you play football. So it comes with the territory. I mean, and guys back in the day, I mean, we would have thought less about head trauma and brain injuries because we were ignorant to the fact. It wasn't out in the public and people weren't harping on it or making a big fuss about it. So we were just out playing the game we love. But now it's it's at the forefront of of the league. And, I mean, it's... It's a big problem and it's an issue they're trying to tackle. And I understand I'm trying to make it safer, but it's a risk you take when you strap up to helmet and decide to play football because you can play football only one way, and that's going 100% and not worrying about getting hurt. Because the moment you worry about getting hurt is when you get hurt.
0: Let me ask you this um, you You have children, correct? That's correct, four kids. And uh, do any of them play football?
1: Yes, I have three boys and a daughter, and all three of my sons play football.
0: Now, I mean, now you've you're well informed of all the hazards that the game has. Um, what is your position now? Has that changed? Are you, I mean, do you encourage them to 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 just continue to go all the way to the pro level, or are you just entertaining them for now? I mean, what is your view on that?
1: You know, I I encourage my kids to do whatever makes them happy, and if football is a game that they want to pursue and play, then I'm I'm here to support them one hundred percent because at the end of the day, my parents allowed me to be involved in sports and activities that I that I was in love with and I enjoyed doing. So I do the same thing for my kids, and I mean,
0: how how old is your oldest uh, son?
1: He's fourteen, ninth grade
0: position offensive line offensive line just like his old man look at that um you know interesting point uh you look at the line position you know uh i don't have the numbers in front of me but i would not counting position players like kickers and stuff like that would you say that the linemen suffer the fewest of the concussions of all the players on the field compared to receivers running backs linebackers defensive backs
1: yeah, I would probably say linemen suffer the big hits less but being a lineman, you bang heads every play.
0: You bang heads every play correct, but I actually compare uh uh the 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 you know the the individual battle between the linemen that occur in each play to uh sumo wrestling. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not it's not a joke. I was just watching it the other day on on TV. Um you stand from a very short distance apart and then you collide, you know, at full strength. And it's not always at full strength. One might be faking or, you know, doing a certain move. You know, there's so much art form that goes into it. And I feel like a lot of, of those uh, individual battles, a lot of times you're, you're not trying to run over the guy. You know, maybe the offensive guys, you know, you, you're you trying to block, but the defensive guy, they're usually smaller than you, correct? I mean, are, are they not usually trying to use their speed or some type of move to, like, avoid as much physical contact as possible, right?
1: Yeah, the, the guys on the edge, defensive ends, they tend to try to use more speed and finesse moves, whereas the guys on the interior line, they're using more strength and quickness and power. And, you know, most linemen, the big collisions come when you're either pulling out or you're going to the second level and you're trying to block a safety or a linebacker on a screenplay or something. But the head-to-head contact happens, but the the collisions aren't as violent as, say, a receiver catching a slant and trying to duck and avoid a a safety or a running back getting flatlined on a swing route.
0: I was going to ask you, you know, if if your if your son had a concussion in a game, what would be the number? Like, how many concussions would it take for you to go? You know what? Like, I don't know if this is going to be the future for you. know, as a lineman, probably not going to happen, right? But let's just hypothetically say your your son was a a wide receiver, and you know he played high school football, was a great receiver, but he caught one and you know caught a slant rod and. Tch- got a concussion, just almost got his head taken off. Now, as a father, you're watching this on the sideline. You see that happen. I mean, what, what, what would have, go through your mind at that point? Would you go, hmm, he has a concussion that's there. Do you get one more? Or is that it? Or is it up to him? Like, what would, what would your, your position be in that in that scenario?
1: Well, I'm a parent first and a football player second. So, I mean, we would probably just have to See the nature and the severity, because all concussions aren't the same. And I actually, my two youngest sons actually play skill positions, so they they do get hit. My thirteen year old is a receiver, and my twelve year old is a running back. So you know they they are susceptible to concussions. And my and my youngest son, my baby boy, he actually got a concussion. He was diagnosed with a concussion in Little League about three years ago.
0: And and he's the running back. Yes. How old was he?
1: when he got the concussion nine maybe ten
0: you know it's funny because like when 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 you played it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal right that the whole concussion thing right nah. they, were, they were still
1: called like dingers right yeah you know just getting your bell wrong. but with so much with so much talk about the cte and concussions and head trauma now that The NFL has an employed two independent specialists that sit up in the press box, and their job is to watch guys after every collision to see if there's any signs of possible head trauma. So the game has moved to a point now where, I mean, everything is monitored, and if there's the slightest inclination of a guy looking like he may have suffered a concussion or some kind of head trauma, the officials are buzzed from upstairs, and that guy has to come out of the field and go through an evaluation.
0: Now, would it be fair to say that the NFL was aware of some of these issues and kind of just swept them under the rug, um, for a period of time? Would you say that, that, was that it's fair to say that?
1: I mean, I could believe that because, you know, we play a, a gladiator barbaric sport and at the end of the day, it comes down to the bottom line and, the NFL is trying to protect the NFL.
0: So now that it, it's it's all come to light, I mean, there's no way of denying the facts. Um, would you say that the NFL does not welcome these changes? Like they don't want to see these new rules uh, because you, like you said, it's going to you know, maybe water down the game. Uh, do you think they're against these these rules, or I mean, do they do they just? Are they just going with the flow? Where do you think they stand on this?
1: I think they're for the safety and the the new updated rules because at the end of the day, they're trying to protect their product. And, I mean, you want to protect the guys that are playing and representing you at the same time. And, you know, they want to avoid possible litigation like they have going on right now with the concussion settlement because you got guys that's playing in the 2000s and come 2020 and 2030 – when these guys are trying to live normal lives and they're getting up in age, you got guys now like Dave Durison and Andre Waters and and all of those guys that, I mean, they suffered they suffered trauma that they say was related to football, their football related injuries and, you know, CTE can only be tested on a brain that's on a once you have passed away, once you died. So I mean, it's really hard to diagnose. So, I mean, as the years go by, I mean, more and more evidence is going to come to light because you got all the guys now, and as the time goes by, you'll be able to get the test done and just see what the real effects are because, I mean, look at Aaron Hernandez. He was 26, and his brain was, like, almost to shreds.
0: Yeah, Aaron Hernandez is interesting for him to... His his brain to to be so messed up at such a at such a young age. Um, I mean, what, what what did did he have a lot of history of concussions in college in high school?
1: I'm not sure of his medical history, but I mean, he's been playing the game since like he was, I'm think maybe ten eleven years old, and I mean that just brings me to thinking about what's going on inside my head. I started playing football at nine at eight years old, and you know, I played for 17 years straight, little league, middle school, high school, college and pros. So my brain's been through a lot. And I mean, in the back of your mind, I mean, you wonder about it. I mean, I can't let it affect my everyday life. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, dang, I wonder what's going on up top with my head. I mean, does it affect the way I'm feeling now? or Some of the things I've been through, is that a cumulative effect of that? I mean, and those answers won't be known until I've passed away and gone on to another to another realm.
0: I mean you can even use the example of Junior Sale. I mean, you, you hear all the people talk about him while he was alive. You know, this uh guy with the smile on his face, always in a good mood and then all of a sudden, you know, he was suffering from something that we didn't know what he was suffering from. Mood swings. And then all of a sudden he takes his own life um so obviously he was he was suffering from the inside um and we saw how he- how junior played the game, you know junior was very reckless uh, took a lot of took a lot of hits and delivered a lot of hits
1: yeah i mean so it's i mean it's it's a story to be told and to be continued i mean and to all the future players that's going to continue to play this game, I mean, that's the risk you take in. Now,
0: let me ask you this because I've heard other people bring it up. I think it's a very interesting point. Why not take away the pads and the helmet and turn it into rugby rule the way the rugby players have it? I think, uh, you know, you put on – I remember when I put on the helmet for the first time. You know, you kind of feel like – you're putting on a costume, like you're no longer you, you know, you got, you're like a knight, this is your suit and armor, and you, know, you put the helmet on, you put the pads on, you know, I remember getting getting hit really hard, and, you know, I kind of went flying, but I was good, you know, I got right back up, and I was like, man, I'm fine, I got, I got my armor on, you know, I remember hitting somebody really hard, somebody bigger than me, knocking them down, and I felt good being able to do that. But at the same time, you know it's almost an instinct to lower your head, you know, uh, and even, you know, it, you know you say, oh, well, you you want you got to keep your head up so you know avoid the neck damage. But there's so many angles, there's uh, people moving so fast, it, it just, uh, I just feel like it's it's inevitable. Injury is inevitable. It's not, it's not avoidable. It's inevitable. And you, you take a sport like rugby where the guys are just as big, moving just as fast, but they don't have helmets on. They don't have pads on. So they, they, they don't hit each other the same way because they're actually looking out for their own safety. I think it's, it's interesting, you know. Uh, or maybe just we can come up with a better equipment better helmets you know better or oh, check this out something even freakier no more on the field playing all the players just put on the virtual reality and they're in their own little container but the computer picks up their own moves their all their speed and the tackling and all that no no that's no no. No, not bad. that's not
1: Football, the pass and the helmet is in the, the context and the violence is the essence of football. And I mean, football wouldn't be football without those things. I mean, and like you say, injuries are inevitable and those things are just going to happen, but trying to change the game to a level where it's not the same or you taking this away or that away. Nah, it'll never be the same. So it's just. It's something that's just going to continue to transpire. And, I mean, it is what it is.
0: Just just uh, subtle changes, right? Maybe change up the helmets a little bit.
1: Yeah, I know. You know, as technology and stuff, science evolves, they'll be able to get better equipment or better safe protocols to keep guys from getting hurt or suffering injuries. But, like you say, sprained ankles, ACLs, shoulder injuries, those things are all part of the game and they're gonna happen it's unfortunate that they happen but they happen I mean you
0: can even use boxing as a comparison right boxing's been exactly the same exact sport for hundreds of years you know they know concussions exist they know getting punched in the head repeatedly it's gonna mess you up but you know it hasn't changed boxing's exactly the same
1: it is and you know that's just that's just the nature of the beast people love what they love and guys love the sports that they love. And, you know, they know the risk that they're taking when they involve themselves. So, you know, you just hope for the best and you don't want to see anyone permanently damaged for it. But there's always that small possibility that that can happen at any given moment.
0: Let's bring up another issue, one that uh, I really found disappointing when I found out the uh, this news, you know, Um, somebody who's always believed in a second chance, somebody who's always known how hard it is to overcome, uh, substance abuse, uh, the downfall of Mr. Josh Gordon, uh, just very, very sad news. You know, you got this guy who, you know, led the league in receiving, was it second
1: year? Second year and didn't even play a full season.
0: Um, I mean, I, th- I think at that time he was, he was using a lot correct. He was, so he wasn't even sober Josh Gordon. He was like party mode Josh Gordon. Still going off, still, you know, tremendous talent, you know, giving another opportunity with the New England Patriots, has the greatest quarterback of all time right next to him in the locker room. Right next to him, you know, and, uh, fails another UA. Now he's suspended indefinitely. I don't know if another team wants to even give him a chance now. After all these, uh, all these failed opportunities. I mean, what, what, what went, what went through your, uh, through your mind when you first uh,
1: saw the news? I mean, I was, I can honestly say I was disappointed because I was so happy for Josh that he got an opportunity to play the game he loves. But you know, and I also let me, let me, let me preface by saying this. I think he came out with the mental health and the step away from the game, that that whole statement, because he already knew what was transpiring with his drug use. And we don't know to what exactly, what drugs he was using, but I mean, we can use our imaginations, but you never know what someone's going through. And I mean, there's states that have NFL teams where marijuana use is legal. And I mean, I'm a recreational user and, It's a calmer and relaxer for me, and it just helps me cope with the the struggles and the just the everyday life. And, you know, Josh has been through. His story is well documented. He's been using drugs since 12, 13 years old, and he's ascended to the top throughout that drug use. But he's been through a lot in his life and a lot of traumatic incidents, and his upbringing isn't too sparkly. So you never know what someone's going through, and, you know, the drugs may be just a way for him to cope and you hate to see him lose his career behind that but that's a decision he made being a part of the NFL you can't use recreational street drugs and be a part of the NFL and he knew that and he chose to use it anyway and whether he was using it for fun or using it to cope at the end of the day if you're going to be a part of the league you can't use you can't use street drugs and i mean
0: well on that on that point let me ask you this um did you, uh, while while you were playing in the NFL at that point in time, were you a recreational uh, marijuana user?
1: Yes, I was, and you know I wanted to get a lay of the land before I participated in those things because, you know, I did you smoke in college? Yes, I smoked. I've been smoking since high school.
0: Is 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 the how does the testing in college work? Is it random? Is it uh, do you kind of have a window? Uh, How does how does that usually work?
1: Testing in college is random, and in my four years at the University of New Mexico, my name never came up on the random. And that's kind of ironic, seeing as though Eric Reed came up on the random seven out of eleven weeks in NFL. I made it four years without being put on the random list.
0: Okay, you said in college it was random. Now let's talk about the NFL. Um, Now you came out and. Obviously, uh, you got tested for the combine, correct?
1: yeah, and before we get into the testing policy, that's where a lot of guys mess up, and I don't know why agents these days or or mentors or handlers aren't letting these guys know if you're a recreational drug user and you're invited to the combine, you need to stop and to get your system clean because once you test positive at the combine, you're red flag before your NFL career even starts. And I mean, you're already behind the eight ball, but the way the testing happens in the league, every player gets tested once a year for illegal street drugs. And there's a time window. It's going to be from May 1st until the end of the preseason. So if you're a recreational drug user and you want to smoke, once you learn the lay of the land, if you can lay off the drugs from the beginning of May to the end of August, you're good. You test clean. You can smoke all year until you know when the test is coming again. You can only be tested once every 365 days.
0: So that's very interesting because, So, but the randoms that they do have during the season are for uh, performance enhancing drugs, correct? Yes,
1: the the randoms during the season are for PEDs. So, you know, once you pass the street drug test, you're good. But, you know, you're going to be tested throughout the year for steroids or whatever that might be. But the street drugs is a once a year thing.
0: Unless, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, unless you do fail a test, correct? At which point, like you said, you get red flagged. And then at that point, well, you you can get tested whenever, right? You, you yeah. Get-
1: once you fail a test and you become a part of the drug program, you're subject to 10 tests a month. Oof. You can get tested up to 10 times a month once you become part of the drug program. So, I mean, there's no way of beating that. Now, I
0: have heard talks um, between the NFLPA and, the, I guess, the owners. I guess they're the ones that would have to agree to this. But um, it wasn't their talks about uh, reducing the penalty for uh, people who were smoking marijuana. Um, I don't know what. I think the The owners wanted to get something else out of the deal if they allowed the players that. I think it had something to do with the PAD testing. But but right now, PED testing is already random, correct? Yes,
1: it's random year-round.
0: So I really don't know what the owners will get out of the deal, but I do know the players. Has it actually been decreased, uh, the penalty, in the last, in, uh, recently, or is it still the same?
1: I'm not sure about the updated rules, but uh, it's trending towards that way because marijuana is legal in several states that have NFL teams, and, I mean, if you can do it legally and not be bothered by the law, then why shouldn't you be able to do it legally? But that's, again, a part of being part of the shield. If you want to be a part of this league, you got to follow this league's rules. Well,
0: yeah, but that's not just the league. That's any job, correct? Any job. I mean, just because you live in a state where it's legal to smoke weed doesn't mean that your employer has to allow you to do it. Yeah. But, you
1: know, some jobs don't test. It just depends on the company you work for. I mean, you might be working for a company that has a little more relaxed drug policy, and some might be more stringent, but it just depends. And, I mean, you got to choose your career accordingly.
0: Something that's also taken off this year pretty big has been uh, the emergence of of online gambling. Uh, They legalized it. You know, in Jersey and other states now, due to the Supreme Supreme Court ruling, uh, what do you, what do you think that that's going to do for the game? Uh, is that a good thing for the game? Is that associating the game with gambling legitimately? Is that bad for the game? What, what what is your viewpoint on that?
1: I mean, I think it's good for the game because at the end of the day, all of the major sports organizations are going to end up getting a piece of the pot, the gambling pot, anyway. And, so, you know, it makes it more intriguing and interesting for the fan. I'm a recreational gambler myself, and it makes it fun on Sundays when you got a three-team parlay and you're trying. You're I'm virtual coaching from the couch. Like, come on, Matt Ryan, I need these punch, I need this two-point conversion. Come on, Deshaun Watson, I need this. You know, it just makes it more interesting when you're cheering for your team. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it hurts the game, and I don't think players will be involved in it. And I mean that's my stance on
0: that. You don't think play- oh, so first of all players are not allowed to be involved, correct? Uh No, nah, like- you
1: can't you can't you can't gamble on yourself or your team. But you know, guys, when I played football, I I used to bet on basketball games.
0: What do you mean you can't bet on your you can't bet at all, right? On any football game or you can bet on anything that's not your game or what?
1: Well, I I don't see that's I don't know. I'm I don't have the rules in front of me. So I don't know if NFL players can play a three team parlay on the AFC teams if they're in the NFC. I'm not sure of that, (laughs) but I mean I mean there's ways that it, it could be done, but you know, I guess they have to outline all of that at some point.
0: So you said you used to gamble on basketball when you played? Yeah. Did you uh, ever, so you played in St. Louis, which does not have a basketball team. So, you did you ever mingle with any uh, former NBA players?
1: I've met a couple of players out and about at parties and nightclubs and things like that. But with St. Louis not having a team, it wasn't just easy to rub elbows or be in the same city with NBA stars.
0: So, something very interesting happened this season, something that I had never seen before a, a arguably the best player at his position. And he just, he just sat out the whole year. I mean, I was like, okay, you're going to sit out for a couple months. We've all seen that. We've all seen somebody sit out for a couple of months for more money. But this guy, he said, no, I'm not going to play at all. Mr. Le'Veon Bell, uh, your reaction on his, uh his stance, you know, something unprecedented I mean can you recall something like this ever happening
1: no I mean I've I've Orlando Pace actually held out of training camp waiting on a bigger deal and you know he eventually signed the franchise tag and came in the camp but Le'Veon Bell's situation is a little different he plays a position that doesn't have a long lifespan in NFL and he's trying to maximize his dollar while he can and I mean, I'm all for the player because the team is – Pittsburgh Steelers are going to look out for Pittsburgh. I mean, and you can't discount what he's done for this team the past three or four seasons. He's getting 400-plus touches, and, I mean, he's been making minimum salary, and he was franchised twice. And you got to think those guys are in the biggest tax bracket. So, yeah, he made $14 but Uncle Sam took 35% of that. So he's just trying to maximize his dollar because when he turns 30, they're going to be looking for any any way or reason to get out of that contract. And when he found out that he could sit out the year and not lose a credited season, I knew he was done. Because before I found out that rule and he found out that he didn't have to show up and he could still hit free agency, true free agency, I knew he wasn't coming back because he already has an injury history and all it takes is one play for a running back. He could have tore his ACL or anything, broke his collarbone or anything, and who would have paid him come March? But now he's fresh. Teams are coming off losing seasons. They're desperate to excite their fan base. He's going to get his money, and I'm all for that. I'm pro player because they pitted on the line. They led on the line year-round. Football is a year-round sport. You play football, 16 games, possibly playoffs, but you're training in the offseason. He could have got hurt running wind sprints or running sand dunes trying to get ready to help Pittsburgh make the playoffs and win a division crown, and they didn't want to pay the man. And then you say they offered offered him a five-year, $70 million deal, but when the facts of the deal came out, they offered him less guaranteed money than he was going to get on his franchise tag. That's like a slap in the face. You're only going to guarantee $12 million? And I could have played on a one year deal for fourteen million, and you know the NFL, none of the contracts are guaranteed, so that's why guys. Kirk Cousins, yeah, and he's now that now they are. Kirk Cousins says that he's the he's the poster child for getting your money, but none of the ga- contracts are guaranteed other than Kirk Cousins, so that's why guys try to get the upfront guarantee money so they can protect themselves, and he's gonna get a Todd S deal this this spring, and I'm happy for him.
0: If you were his teammate, would you feel the same way?
1: Absolutely. I was – It's <laughs> a reason. If I was still in the league, I mean, I would have had an issue with that. I mean, the lineman coming out and speaking on – that's an unwritten code. You don't speak on nobody else's money in the locker room. And those guys, that just lets you know what kind of shit Pittsburgh's running. Cause those guys just felt it was okay to come out and speak on his money. Okay, he missed a million dollars this week. Is anybody, is it, we're going to pass the collection plate around and y'all going to put money in my pocket?
0: But don't you think that was more about, uh, they were under the impression that he was going to come back?
1: Well, yeah, maybe it was, maybe there was mixed signals of the lines of communication. Weren't open or or something was said that wasn't lived up to, but and Le'Veon is at fault for that. He should have let his guys know. Look, I'm trying to get my deal done. If Pittsburgh don't come to the table and give me what I'm looking for, it's possible I'm gonna be out this year. But soon as soon as things get done and business gets handled and I sign, I'm here. I'm with y'all. I'm in the foxhole. Let's go win. You know, you're
0: talking about uh, football players. Not getting the guaranteed money, you know, like basketball and baseball. Why? Why do you suppose that is that uh, NBA players get the big money guaranteed, uh, baseball players as well. Baseball players get guaranteed money, and they have to go through a minor leagues minor league system. They might not even play in the big show. NFL players, you sign them, they're going to play. There is no minor leagues in baseball uh, football. So why, why? Why is that? Why do you think that is?
1: Well, first of all, the rosters, the rosters are small in basketball. You have 15 guys. In baseball, you have 25 guys. And in baseball, the the upfront guaranteed money for the draft picks, it's a lot of money. I mean, speaking, 9-10 million is a lot of money, but I mean the investment isn't like it isn't just exponential like a a big risk for the teams. Yeah, they're taking a risk by giving a 9 to $10 million signing bonus to a baseball player. But in football, you got 53 guys on the active roster. Then you got eight additional guys on practice squad. So you think if you – I mean, the owners will be losing. I mean, they can do a rental player. They can get a player for two, three weeks paying $75,000 and then get rid of them. I mean, if you got 53 guys – and you got a hundred and twenty-seven million dollar salary cap, and that's fully guaranteed. Then I mean, at the end of the day, they're not making their bottom line is going to be affected. What's
0: what's the salary cap?
1: I think it's about one hundred and twenty-seven million.
0: What what is it for uh, for basketball?
1: And basketball, I think it's like one hundred and forty. But you know, most of the so
0: they get more money for less
1: players. That's correct. I mean, just look at some of the contracts. No sense. Look at some of the contracts yeah. in the NBA. I mean, I'm happy for the guys to get that money because, I mean, it takes a lot to be a pro athlete. But, I mean, Nicholas Batum got $128 million from Charlotte.
0: I mean, do you not remember when Mike Conley was the highest paid player in the NBA?
1: I mean, he got what hundred and fifty-three million. I like Mike Conley, but and people are like, "Who? Who? Yeah." <laughs> he's not, in my in my opinion, he's not an NBA Finals type of point guard. But I mean, he got paid for his resume and his accomplishments thus far. So I mean, I salute him for that. But I mean, NBA players are grossly overpaid. I mean, LeBron was—he's just now started to be the highest-paid player on his team after years of. Being yeah sure. but
0: that's that's not that's because of he 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 was fine with that he's making so much money through Nike that who cares right uh he took a pay cut for a reason right?
1: yeah but I think I think players should be paid based on performance
0: ah, that's that's interesting but again you're all about players you know play, I mean you 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 get paid on what you did now what you would you get paid on what you've done and what your potential of doing right um and i think that's fair i think uh let's say you have a real good season especially on a contract year you know you get yourself a a really good deal but you might not pan out to that i mean you you see. I I'd rather get overpaid than underpaid. Oh, absolutely. I know? mean because, he, because the other the other scenario is you not getting the money, right? Yeah. You know, and, and we don't want that. Yeah, I'm these owner's these owners are billionaires. Billionaires. You know, the only people I know sometimes you're like, man, uh, you know, this player on my team, he's getting paid so much money we need to get rid of this guy because he's not as good and, you know, make some salary room. I mean, the fan is really the only person concerned. You know, the owner's got the money. The player's making his money. The teammates are cool with it.
1: Just think, an NFL team could cover their salary cap with their eight home games, stadium revenue. Parking, concessions, ticket sales, you could cover your salary cap for the season. And the owners are still going to get their check from the NFL at the end of the year for TV revenue and all of that. So, I mean, that's I mean, why not get paid?
0: Do you th- are, are all NFL um, franchises profitable?
1: Maybe. Some, some are more liquid than others, but they all get the same piece of the pie from the NFL. The NFL makes nine billion dollars a year.
0: From most of it from like ESPN and Fox.
1: Yeah. The T V deal. So you divide nine billion by thirty two. Yeah. Everybody's getting a big chunk of the pie. And that's it. And the salary cap is just a small percentage of that.
0: What well, what was the relationship like in St. Louis between ownership and the players?
1: Well, when I was playing, we had a a female owner. We had a woman owner, Miss Georgia Frontieri. Is, is that, that's not very common, is it? No, nah, it's not. You know, she inherited the team from her from her deceased husband. He okay. left it to his wife. She wasn't the original owner. She inherited from her husband when he passed. But you know, she was. She made sure we had everything we needed to be successful. We had top of the line facilities, everything at our disposal. We needed to put a a good team on the field, and you know, most owners are like that. I mean. Most owners, their football teams are like their play toys. And, I mean, you know, you buy a Lamborghini, you want to make sure your Lamborghinis is is taken care of. It's good. It's shiny. It's running good.
0: I guess, uh, you know, I find it interesting you say that, um, you know, in order to be an NFL owner, I think you have to have in the bank, you know, what, a couple billion at least. You got to at least
1: be able to cover – operating cost so yeah anything less than a billionaire you're not gonna be able to be a majority owner you can get a minority stake in it but to be the sole majority owner of a team you're gonna have to be a, a billionaire. So you
0: usually have you have these teams owned by billionaires who are obviously unless they inherit the money good in in business in some way. Yet you have franchises such as, you know, Cleveland who who just recently looked like they got it together but why why would you say there are some there are just some teams that just buffalo they just suck for so long like is it that the ownership is not able to find the right general manager like who who would you say on a football team from ownership all the way down has the biggest role in the success of the franchise where would you say that lie if you had to put on one individual
1: I put it on the the general manager and the coach. If you have the owner is the chief of the tribe and the chief has to have good Indians working under. If the owner is just willing to sign a check and give his input on things that need to be inputted and hire good staff that he trusts and he believes in to put a good product on the field, then everything will work itself out. I mean, you look at the Rooney family. They've had three coaches in what, 40, 45, 50 years? I mean, they trust the people that they put in place to run the team. They have their values. They have the stuff, their standards they stick by.
0: But can't that work against you? Let's take, for example, Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati. I mean, he stuck with his guy, and they've done nothing for so long.
1: Yeah, Mike Brown has been loyal to Marvin Lewis. He's been there, what, 15 years, never won a playoff game? I'm
0: almost certain he has some inside information on that guy.
1: I mean, he has to be, or <laughs> I mean, Mike Brown is one of those owners that he's always been pro-minority. And, I mean, he just, I mean, we we might not know what skeletons are in the closet. I mean, Marvin Lewis might got the flash drive in the safe deposit box that the moment you get, the moment you let me go, I'm spilling all the tea and you'll no longer be a part of this fraternity
0: so I did notice uh you you played also uh was it arena arena football
1: no i I signed the contract okay. to go be a part of an indoor team, but I ended up hurting my foot, and I was like i just gave i just gave it up after that and I mean that's a tough pill to swallow. Once you've been to the big show and you settle for, <laughs> yeah, it's just once you've been to the big time. I mean, it's it's a humbling pill to swallow to to go settle for that. That's that's I'm trying to see what I can equate it to. It's like, would you rather go to Applebee's or would you rather go to Del Friscos?
0: <laughs> that big of a difference, huh?
1: I mean, nothing compares to Sundays. In the NFL, it's nothing like it. You've been
0: out the game how long now?
1: Eleven years. I played my last down eleven years ago.
0: When you sit down, as you were sitting down earlier, watching, uh, watching Sunday, uh, was there, I mean, I'm sure there was probably a point when you know it was kind of tough for you to watch it, you know, in the beginning. But would you say it's gotten easier for you as time has gone by? to enjoy the game or did you did you never really lose that love was there ever any bitterness towards the game or
1: for a long time it was it took me about 2 or 3 years after my last game to just be able to sit down and just watch a game because I felt like I could still do it at a high level and I mean I'm a Cowboys fan I would check in on my Cowboys but other than that I couldn't watch a football game and still to this day I feel like if I was given the opportunity to prepare my body and my mind, that I could still go out and perform. I mean, because my career wasn't what I wanted to be, and I kind of equate that to, like, going to a buffet and you only go back, you only go through the line one time.
0: Um, How many times should you go through the line at a buffet?
1: At least twice. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it's, you can't describe it and it. I mean, that's something that I worked my whole life for and, you know, not being able to maximize the opportunity and, and get my feel of it. I mean, that's a, that's a reality I'm I'm living with and it's going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life.
0: Speaking of, uh, buffets, uh, did you ever do that? Did you ever just go out to the buffets as a, as as a team or was it mostly like, uh, Nice steakhouses and stuff like that.
1: Oh man, you, you can get all the foods you can handle in the NFL. Our 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 travel day spread was Popeye's. Popeyes was catered to the facility before we left to get on the plane if we had a road game or if it was a home game. Unlimited Popeyes in the cafeteria. And Fridays we had Friday was hot dog day. So you got all kind of different stuff you can have, and throughout the week that's just different. It's the chef in the kitchen, and there's different stuff you can get every day. And you eat good on the plane. We fly first class. You eat good. They feed you before you get on the plane, on the plane, and then they give you a hundred. And back in when I was playing, we got a hundred and sixteen dollars per diem for dinner that night. So, I mean food and that's not to include the, the spread they had at the hotel. They took care of you good. Oh yeah, one of the one of the perks of the game.
0: You were always a Cowboys fan, so did you look up to the linemen growing up or did you look up to any other type of position players?
1: Larry Allen, Nate Newton, I like those guys. Once I once I came to grips with my reality that I wasn't gonna be a all star <laughs> running back or <laughs> or safety or cornerback, you know, I took a liking to Larry Allen and Nate Newton, but I was also a fan of Michael Irvin, just his fire in the passing and he played with. Big fan of that guy.
0: What are, what, what are the plans for Mr. Terrell for 2019? We are currently, uh, this is December 30th. Yes. It seems a little surreal. Uh, Doesn't even seem like this year, uh, is over. You know, it went by so quickly. Um, what is, uh, what is on the forefront?
1: Uh, well, you know, I'm me probably like millions of people in the world. We make minor resolutions and say we're going to do things. Anything that that going into this year that I say I want to accomplish, I want to hold myself to it. I want to hold myself accountable. I don't want to be like, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week or I'm going to do this or that and not do it. I don't want it to be like January and February, everything's rolling along smooth, and then March I get a flat tire, and that flat tire lasts the rest of the year. So just life-wise, career-wise, personally, everything, i just anything that I attach myself to or say I want to do or be involved in, I want to see it through.
0: That's good. That's the most important thing. I always try to ask people, you know, where do they see themselves five years from now, ten years from now? Mainly because I want them to, to start thinking. You know, most people, I mean, they have no idea, they have no plans, they, uh, which is fine, I guess. If, if I, I think the most important thing is that you're happy. You know, if someone's happy and has no idea what they're going to do tomorrow, hey, you know, that's fine. But uh, I always do want to, you know, get people thinking, like, you know, what, what am I going to be doing five years from now? What, what should I be trying to do next year? What, you know, just have some type of plan, some type of uh foundation, something to build on. Um, did you, uh, did you see the, the, the fight, the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury fight?
1: Yes, I saw that.
0: What what did you think of that fight? Was it, wasn't it really good? That was a great fight.
1: It was a good fight and it. And it kind of went like I thought it was because I know Tyson Fury is a a good he's actually a good technical boxer. I mean, he doesn't look the part, but he actually has good good skills. He's he's a technician and Deontay Wilder is he's more he's more of a brawler, a home run hitter, and I thought Tyson would give him problems and he did. And I mean, I I can honestly say I was shocked that Tyson was able to get up after getting caught late in the round. After going twelve rounds, I was, I was amazed that he was able to get up after getting floored.
0: Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Um, it looked like the scene from Pulp Fiction when we thought Uma Thurman had OD'd and uh, John Travolta stabbed her with the adrenaline, and she just like, like raised up from the dead. That's how uh that's how Tyson looked, man. He just he just shot up.
1: Yeah, he had his uh he had his Undertaker WWE moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know man, that was a good fight. I really enjoyed that fight. I'm really looking forward to the rematch. I think the rematch is gonna be uh, you know, Tyson, I think he's gonna train a little bit better, come in a little bit slimmer. And uh I don't know if he'll beat Wilder. Um I don't know if he has the ability to knock him out. Wilder can take a punch. Um, I don't know if you saw the Ortiz fight. Ortiz really landed some big shots on him, but wasn't able to drop him.
1: Uh, King Kong Ortiz, Luis Ortiz? Yes. Yeah, he uh, he had Deontay hurting with the fifth round, I think.
0: I can't recall the, the round, but around there.
1: Yeah, I remember he had him on the rope. So, Deontay, he has all the skills. He's just going to have to pit it. I think for him to maximize his potential and to be the unified champion he's going to have to he's going to have to improve technically and just his boxing skills because I think Anthony Joshua will give him trouble too and unlike Tyson I think if Joshua gets him in trouble he'll finish him.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh I think it's going to be a great fight. Any uh words of encouragement, words of wisdom you want to give to To the young children who, you know, they look at the game of football and, you know, this is something that they want to do.
1: Just, if I could tell anything to the youth, it was to be just to aim high and dream big. This world is is big, it's gigantic. It's a lot of places to go and a lot of things to do and a lot of people to meet. So just aim for the stars. I mean, don't. Don't be, don't feel hindered by your circumstances or your upbringing or anything like that. Whatever you desire in this life, chase it to the fullest because you only get to live one life and you don't want to have any regret. You don't want to be 36, 37 saying, I wish I would have done this. Plan ahead, dream big, and chase the stars because you never know what you can accomplish, what which, which you put your mind to in. Just always treat people how you want to be treated, and they'll ever give up. If somebody tell you no, keep going, because somebody eventually tell you yes. So don't give up, don't give in, push forward, aim for the stars, and chase that dream.
0: Did you always uh, know that you were going to play in the NFL? Was that always something growing up that you knew you were going to do?
1: When I start when I started playing a game of football and I realized that it was something that I loved and then I, I I kind of realized that I was like hey I'm kind of I'm pretty good at this I mean and I don't see why not me why not me and you know I I worked for it and I achieved that dream I mean I can't say that I didn't get to play as long as I desired but I achieved the dream. I achieved achieved the dream that that I that I dreamed for myself, and I mean, there's no feeling like that. And I mean, just like it, like like I said, just telling you, whatever you want to be, chase it with relentless passion and pursuit. Um,
0: your coach when you played was that Dick Vermeil.
1: I played for Mike Martz. My rookie year and then he was let go and we brought in Scott Lenahan for the next two years.
0: Um, I've noticed a trend in the league with these uh new coaches, younger coaches. Um they're considered to be more of a player coach. Uh why do you suppose that is? Do you think is it just the persona of the players have changed due to the social media effect or uh, what is what is this new coaching style is it beneficial is
1: it is it just just adapting with time or where, where do you think this comes from i like the youth movement i mean i think it's just the stigma of or the the generalization of what a coach should be has changed i mean and these owners these days aren't afraid to take risk and the younger guys that're coming in they're they're motivated they're creative they're energetic And they just can relate better. I mean, I think anybody in any profession, but particularly in coaching, if you if you can communicate and relate to people, you work well with others, and you have a vision, and you get somebody to believe in that vision. I mean, the sky's the limit. Take Sean McVay; he worked his way up. I mean, it just like it wasn't handed to him on a silver platter. I mean, he started at the bottom did he did he play uh i don't know i mean maybe he played in high school i don't know about his his playing career but i know he got into the coaching game
0: like early but as a player isn't it difficult to take uh take orders from somebody who didn't even play does that not matter
1: i mean you know guys like guys like coaches that have some experience that's been through the fires that has that experience of being a a real-life player, but at the same time, if you got a guy that teaches you and communicates well and you believe in what he's teaching you and you believe in his plan, then, I mean, you can't knock him if he didn't play. I mean, because there's plenty people, there's plenty John Doe sitting at home right now on the couch that, I mean, they didn't never play the game, but they've been fans of the game, studied the game, and they understand the game. I mean, it all comes down to opportunity and chance. I mean, you you fall into the right opportunity, or you get the right chance, and I mean, anything can happen.
0: Yeah, but I think getting to that level is a little bit more than chance, though, right? I mean, maybe one thing to get a chance at a, a high school coaching job, but to get to the NFL, you're I, talking about different levels, right? To get oh, to-
1: no doubt. I mean, it's it all. It, that's like in anything; it comes down to who you know. I mean, for somebody. You need to know somebody that to give you that boost or to give you that recommendation or pitch you in front of somebody that can give you the chance. It all, it all comes down to who you know. And like you say, different strokes for different folks, but it comes down to who you know. You got to know somebody in position to get in position.
0: All right, well, today is the last day of the regular season. I think we should end this with maybe some... Playoff talk, Super Bowl predictions, uh, season uh, awards. Let's start with, let's start with season MVP.
1: Pat Mahomes.
0: Pat Mahomes. um, What about
1: Drew Brees? I mean, Drew Brees. He's
0: got it. But Pat Mahomes got what, like forty, like almost fifty touchdowns.
1: Forty-eight touchdowns, eleven interceptions, going into Week (laughs) Seventeen. I mean, his performance has been steady and on fire basically the whole season.
0: Have you ever seen anyone throw a no-look pass?
1: No, that was my first time ever witnessing that in the football game. (laughs) A no-look pass on point, avoiding the rest of the Ravens? Come on, you kidding me?
0: The throw down on fourth and long? Was it fourth and 19? Fourth and nine. Yeah, I
1: mean, just the wherewithal and the moxie and the belief, the self-belief to make that throw in that situation with the game on the line?
0: Uh, he really didn't have much of an option there. I mean, that's I mean, really. <laughs> You
1: you're scrambling out of the pocket. It's fourth and nine. You got to make something happen. But just to, I mean, to make that throw, I mean, you could have looked for some, or maybe 10, 15 yards down the field, but 40 yard throw on fourth and nine on the rope to a streak in Tyreek Hill. You can't coach that. That's God given. Defensive player, Aaron Donald. Defensive player of the year, either Aaron Donald or. J.J. Watt? J.J.? J.J.'s had a – you got to think, J.J. came back from, I mean, a serious injury. He had a compound leg fracture, and prior to that, he had the back injury. And, I mean, he's coming back and stabilized that defense, and what he's at, like 17 sacks now. I mean, he still had the same effect. It might not be as dominant as in past years, but he still had the same effect. You know what you're going to get from him week in and week out if he's healthy. He can he can wreck the game at any moment.
0: Rookie of the year.
1: Rookie of the year, Saquon Barkley.
0: There's uh one for offense and defense, right? Yeah. Defensive rookie of the year.
1: Darius Leonard, Indianapolis Colts. Linebacker? Linebacker, number fifty three, I think. He got like he has he's been credited with like hundred and sixty tackles.
0: Okay. Um NFC champion.
1: I'm a homer. My heart <laughs> tells me the Cowboys, but I don't think I don't think anyone can go into New Orleans and beat Drew Brees in the dome. I'm sorry, I've been to a game in the dome, playoff game, and that atmosphere and that offense and just everything that comes along with that. I don't see anyone going into New Orleans and beating the Saints.
0: So the Saints are going to go all the way to Super Bowl with only one real receiver?
1: The Saints are going to go marching in. They got. They recently got T again back in.
0: He's a difference maker. He's a speedster.
1: Players make plays, and Drew Brees will have those other guys. As long as they make the catches, I mean, Drew Brees will get the ball to him.
0: AFC champion.
1: Patriots. You can't stop Tom Brady, huh? No one can if, stop him. Until I see it, I I can't believe it. And I think the Chiefs are going to get upset in the playoffs in the divisional round. And then that means the road goes through Foxborough. And if Tom is able to have an AFC championship game at home, we'll have a Super Bowl classic of two legends, Brady versus Breeze. That's what the people want to see anyway. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I mean, the NFL cares about their bottom line. If they can make that matchup happen, I think.
0: They didn't want to see uh, Brady versus Foles. That's not what they wanted last year. Absolutely
1: not. Carson Wentz was the front runner for MVP before the knee injury. So you got the young upstart against the Wiley veteran. That's what they really wanted.
0: It's going to be the New Orleans Saints versus the Houston Texans.
1: Are you speaking from a home point of view right now? Are you being a homer right now or are you speaking logically? A little bit of both.
0: I think uh the Chiefs are just their defense is just too shitty. Uh big believer in defense. You know, I really uh I I you know, I like the I like the Ravens. I really do. You know, they got the best defense in the league. You're averaging over 200 yards rushing a game. Uh, Lamar Jackson is Michael Vick 2.0. I mean, they definitely got something going over there. But when you look at just the most balanced team, I mean, yeah, you can still say Patriots. Uh, It almost seems like you give them a week to prepare in the playoffs and their defense always seems to find a a way.
1: Yeah, and not to cut you off, but I just think Houston, if Houston gets the opportunity and have to go to Foxborough, I just think it's a mental hurdle for them. I mean, I know they have the young, exciting Deshaun Watson, but it's just something about that franchise and the Patriots in the postseason.
0: Well, you do have to remember uh, when they played each other last year, what Watson did. He put on a show. In a loss. In a loss because conservative Bill O'Brien did not want to go for it on fourth down. Where they could have got the first down and ran the clock out. But instead they punted the ball and we know what Tom Brady does.
1: So all of those factors come into play in the postseason. Players and coaches. And what better combination do you have than Peyton and Breeze, Brady and Belichick?
0: I agree. Um I just think this is I mean, you know, I'm I'm I might be going out on the limb here, but you know, I am a little biased. I think that'd be nice to see Brady versus Watson from the what Mercedes-Benz Stadium in uh, Atlanta, Georgia.
1: That's correct. Well, on that note, um,
0: I think we'll go ahead and conclude here. Uh, it was a pleasure having you
1: on the show, Big C. I enjoyed being here, man. This was fun. We'll have to do it again. Maybe an NBA version or come postseason time for the NBA playoffs. Because, I mean, the audience might not know, but you're a LeBron hater and he's going to shock the West.
0: <laughs> uh, folks, we don't really have time to get into that, but uh, we'll do a little NBA pre-playoff podcast. Until then, this was the sit down. Adios. I think, think of something that's saying in uh, the Chiefs and i 20